I'm Jason Evans, and this is Factor 8. Welcome back, everyone. Well, to say a lot's happened since the last podcast would be an understatement. And yeah, I mean, the reason why it's been a while since the last podcast is basically, you know, with everything moving so fast, I was hesitant to do a podcast and then kind of everything has changed by by the time it, it even comes out. Hence why, um, yeah, the new podcast is, is coming out now to kind of look at what's been going on over recent weeks and what's going to be happening Next, obviously, the, the main thing to talk about at the outset is the recent inquiry hearings and the kind of lack of uh, information, the lack of action that's, that's you know, came, came out of that. And I know for most people that was a very tough week because I think, you know, expectations were were that something something may give now what that something may or may not have been was was up for debate but i think the expectation was that there might be just a little something which obviously did not come did did not uh did not happen and i i know as ever with these things you know people all of us have learned over the course of many years now to temper expectations but i think even though you know it's almost like the heart over mind thing isn't it even though your your mind can be saying you know do do you really think they're going to do this and kind of managing your expectations your your heart is there saying come on this this must be it this must be the moment that there's there's kind of an, another uh, little breakthrough sort of moment um which did not come unfortunately um you know personally being at the hearings, talking to people that were there. I think, yeah, um, people's attitudes, people's feelings gradually just declined as each day went by and it kind of just became more and more clear, I, I guess culminating with the evidence of the Prime Minister, that there was going to be no kind of breakthrough that that week and um so i know a lot of people were feeling very disappointed very depressed uh including myself you know understandably um so that's that's kind of where we were left i think we could have gotten greater insight had the uh government shared documents correspondence relating to their deliberations to date, which um, those of you that kind of follow the the kind of day-to-day detail will know that the government had raised this whole issue of, um, feels a bit like Groundhog's Day when I say this, I know, but uh, public interest immunity in relation to their documentation regarding ongoing uh, policy making. And I guess, you know, it, ultimately the inquiry could have you know, turned this into some COVID inquiry style legal battle and sought to, to to challenge that. And I think for what I think many people would see as very understandable reasons, I, I guess they had decided not to go that route. It would have made things protracted and, and, and taken longer and ultimately 
the government may still not have had to produce that documentation and so that that didn't happen but you know i think there would have been more insight for people had that documentation you know been made available i think probably you know the 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 most revealing document was the one uh that we'd gotten through foi from the dwp and put out there where it was the the letter from uh outlining the timetable and and stuff like that which the inquiry referred to and if, if you go and look at the written statement of jeremy quinn uh, it, it didn't seem like the cabinet office were particularly happy that that document got out there and i'll return to this issue of um section 35 exemption in the freedom of information act it's basically one of the regulations the exemptions that the government are relying on heavily at the moment to um prevent us from getting any more documents or at least trying and and we're, we're trying to to fight the other way as well so I'll, I'll i'll return to that issue a little bit later but um yeah i mean it's it, it is easy to focus on the negatives because it was a very negative week but i i thought to kind of counterbalance that it was worth as well talking about some of the important things that were said which i think are easily missed um because we didn't necessarily get the specific information that that we were wanting um but there were some important things said uh for instance during the prime minister's evidence this uh this little segment in particular people have been waiting for answers not just for months not just for years but for decades and i talked about the layers of injustice because there really have been layers of it not just the fact that this happened to someone the fact that it impacted their family the fact that they were lied to for so many years about what had happened and told everything was fine, nothing to see here when that clearly wasn't the case. And then when they sought answers, sought an inquiry, they were rebuffed for many years until the inquiry uh, was established. And as I acknowledged, this hurt and the suffering isn't just historic, it is continuing today. Uh, I acknowledge and understand all of that uh, and sympathize with it. So for me, that you know, the reason why that was an important moment certainly not the only one but in terms of the prime minister's evidence the reason why that was an important moment for me was to have the first prime minister in history uh, as far as i'm aware uh, particularly under oath but just generally anyway to say that we've been lied to for years to me that was um very important and not just the fact that he admits we were lied to that he says talks about the layers of injustice and i know that some of these things became you know kind of the lines to go to for people over the course of that week but i do think it's important um when when you look at that shift now we did we did a whole podcast episode previously on how the narrative has changed but i think it's worth reflecting again i mean i, I pulled out a quick list it's by no means comprehensive but if, if we if we look back at what different ministers and prime ministers have said for the best part of three you know four decades about this scandal no matter what's happened uh in, in terms of any uh kind of camp campaigns and and, and you know news what, what court cases whatever the narrative by ministers and prime ministers has been consistent until now for many decades i, I mean I, I i've got i've got some quotes here if we go back 1989 
We believe strongly that there was no negligence on the part of the Department of Health. We categorically deny any negligence. 1996, the government said, it was undoubtedly the best treatment available, talking about factor eight, for people with haemophilia in the light of medical knowledge at the time, in the year 2000. We are not talking here about medical negligence. If we were, the matter would be quite straightforward. No one is saying that the NHS was at fault in the 1970s and early 1980s when contaminated factor eight was given to haemophiliacs. 2001, the government said compensation is paid only when the National Health Service staff or those working in the NHS are at fault. Before 1985, it was not possible to make blood products free from hepatitis C. 2009, the seriousness of chronic hepatitis C infection only became apparent after full characterization of the virus in 1989. And then we've actually got an audio clip of this one from 2016, which I'm sure many of you will remember. Um, given that in the UK, action was taken as soon as possible to introduce testing and safety measures um, for blood and blood products as these became available. Now, and, and just to give you the rest of that quote on that one as well, she says, uh, as soon as these became available, with the introduction of health and heated products, and that the government have published all documents associated with this event from the period 1970 to 1985, all of that, every single line of that was totally false. And that's going from the 80s all the way until the year before this inquiry was announced. Consistently, prime ministers, ministers falsely giving uh well just giving false lines and i know you know the inquiries obviously covered that and looked at that a lot throughout the hearings but the reason why i bring it up again is just to emphasize that although that week you know there was a lot of negative i think that narrative the shift in it that the fact that now finally after all these decades it has finally changed is important because you know for me i think i look at the narrative as as the key almost and you know the the, the narrative that had, has existed for all those decades previous to now that narrative was never going to fit the compensation door um and, you know, these, this episode, again, you know, it, it will focus on compensation largely because that is the issue of the day at, you know, at, at, at this present time as we await the final report for the full details uh, uh, and full kind of cataloging of the wrongs that the chair of the inquiry has referred to. But to come, to come back to this uh, kind of analogy, if you like, the narrative being the key and that key was never going to fit the compensation door. But the narrative is different now to what would, what it ever has been in the past. And, and that makes me optimistic that we will succeed because now we have the right key, the key we always needed. And that was for the real narrative to be accepted. And so to have the prime minister sitting up there under oath saying essentially what the real narrative is that this is a scandal that we were lied to that there were layers of injustice that's never happened and it's happened now and that's the key to unlocking this door finally and the battle now of course is is one of timing 
And we obviously, naturally, want all of this to happen now because it should have happened a long time ago. The problem is a long time ago, we didn't have the right key. So given the week that we had, a week of the government saying that basically the intention is to wait until the final report before they want to do anything, or at least that's the current position. Although in a lot of their correspondence, they include that line, um, this does not preclude earlier announcements as work progresses. Accept that. But I guess now there will be within the campaign two kinds of people. Uh, those who will accept that and those who won't. Uh, and, and I guess it's, you know, just as those uh, that there were those who accepted this would never get into court, there'd never be an inquiry, we'd never get the government to launch a compensation framework exercise, I could go, you know, on and on with these things. Um, I'm not going to accept that position. You know, we're, we're going to keep fighting and keep campaigning for action to happen now because it's the right thing to do. And um, we might fail, but I'm not scared to fail. Um, you know, I'm, I'm scared of looking back saying could have done more, should have done more, wish we'd have done more. I focused on the wrong thing. You know, that's what I'm scared of. I'm not scared of failing. So we're going to push on. You know, that's that's my position. That's the position of Factor 8. So the fight will go on to get action before the final report because it is the right thing to do. And uh, I think we can do it. You know, even, even if I didn't think we could do it, I'd still think we should, you know, um, because it's the right thing to do. So that fight goes on for sure. And then I think the next question, I guess, is how... How do we put that in practice? You know, what can we do to to get this to move forward more quickly? Um, some of you may have already seen that we have uh, published on the Factor 8 website, Factor 8, 15 points in favour of pre-registration for compensation, um, as recommended in the Infected Blood Inquiries uh, second interim report. That's on the Factor 8 website. And... Uh, I know that that is is being looked at now. Um, it's been sent to the relevant ministers and officials. We've circulated emails to members through various uh, channels, emails, WhatsApps, etc., encouraging people to write to Number Ten, to the Cabinet Office, to the Department of Health, to the Treasury, to the devolved administrations encouraging sooner action. I know many of you listening will already have done that. Um, I think Colin solicitors as well put out a, a similar communication to their clients, uh, which is very good. Um, totally support that. And, and I'm sure many people have acted on that communication as well. Uh, you know, all types of media and social media content productively pushing for, for, for action. Um, you know, on, on a personal front, FOI battles uh, continue, media research continues, uh, there's there's constant dialogue with, you know, fr uh, friends and supporters in and out of, 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 of Parliament, I can't share all of that, but that's uh, ongoing and, um, you know, with, without carrying on with everything, you know, the summary is if you're able to, if you want to, 
keep up the fight. Um, and I know many of you will anyway. You 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 certainly won't be alone uh, in 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 doing that. So that's that's the present position. That although we've had this kind of negative week, it's a good thing that it happened. Important things were said under oath. Yes, we hoped for more. Um, but that week, I guess, was just an, uh, a tool. And it's a tool we can now use. We can use things that were said under oath in the transcript. We can use those things in letters, in correspondence. When Parliament returns, if we're still not any further, we can get MPs to use things that were said in, in Parliament. So we've got a little bit more uh, kind of ammo, I guess. And, and we won't stop. We certainly won't stop. So compensation matters aside, um, let's take a listen to what Sir Brian said at the very end of the hearings uh, last week. Well, I, I think I said at the end of the, uh, the last set of hearings that we had that we did not anticipate having any more hearings. I didn't say absolutely that we wouldn't. And you've seen that we have this week been exploring the nature, the adequacy, and the timeliness uh, of the government's response. Uh, it remains for me to reflect on what has been said, and I no doubt you will too, but thank you uh, for your attendance. Um, given what's been said, I shall do everything I can to make sure the final report is produced as quickly uh, as uh, I reasonably can. Uh, it won't, I think, be early in the autumn, but I can't say any more uh, about it. I shall do my best. But thank you. So that was the end of the hearings. I said last week, it was actually the, the week before last, uh, last now. But um, that was the, how the hearings ended. Um, and I, I know, you know, naturally people will speculate um, as to when the final report at uh, lunch, launch even, uh, although I'd imagine there will be lunch at the launch, uh, when, when that will be happening. Um, for my money, I think probably November. I think probably Church House. Uh, but of course, that's all to be confirmed and obviously uh, is at the discretion of the, the inquiry, ultimately. So we, we have to... Uh, wait and see on that front um, for now. But I think the main thing is the the finality of the final report, I guess. Um, not not in terms of, of compensation, you know, to, to move away from the, the whole comp compensation discussion for a moment, but it, but in terms of, you know, how how this goes down in history, because I think we all know this this is it. You know, we've been we've been saying this for years. There's no there's no other inquiry coming after this. Um, this is it. You know, although, although you know, obviously the spectre of court action remains. Th this is, you know, in terms of, you know, a substantial investigation, this, this is going to be it. And I think naturally the conclusions that Sir Brian reaches is, is going to be the general thrust of how this goes down. Now, I think at this stage, particularly what's been said in the second interim report, it's almost uh, impossible that this report's going to come out and it's going to be favourable to 
the government to the pharmaceutical companies to the executive agencies and public authorities associated with the government that had a role in all this i think you know you just that's not going to happen um we we've all you know sat there listened and watched the evidence that sir brian and and council and the inquiry team have listened to and it just it just seems impossible that this could be favorable for for those on on the other side um but people will be looking carefully i suppose for the the extent of the wrongdoing and the fault that's found and where where that line will be drawn you know will the line be drawn at i guess you know at a a kind of worst case scenario where you kind of find the minimal the most the least wrong thing in a way is when it comes to the risk attached to infected blood products as you say well you know heated products um could have been introduced a few months before do you do you which obviously i disagree with i disagree with most of what i'm about to say but i'm I'm just presenting these lines that could be drawn that's one of them you know the 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 kind of next one is well we shouldn't have used commercial products and 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 the self-sufficiency line in the sand and then the the one before that is you know we we should have um you know gone back to cryo in whatever year you want to pick 1980 1981 1982 1983 etc um as 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 you know the extent of the risk grew and again i'm disagreeing with a lot of what i'm saying here i'm just as i say i'm presenting these lines and then you start to get to me what are the more the lines that i personally would begin to agree with which are the ones of you know large pool factor concentrates never should have been made available for patient use until they were were virally inactivated could be virally inactivated until a stabilizer was found to heat the 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 product we should have stuck on cryo until such until such a point and and those are the ones that take you back to kind of the early 70s the late <clears throat> 60s and and those are the kinds of that once you get to that place once we start talking about you know how early the um risks of large pool plasma were known which are well documented there's hundreds of documents the inquiry have dis disclosed that talk about that um once you get to that place i think i think we're looking at the real the real issue in terms of risk and then there's all those other questions about will the inquiry be looking at, you know, the unethical uh, studies set up over, uh, you know, a decade by people like Dr. Krask and others. And, and, and then you start to just get into it, just the worse it gets, right? The more unethical everything gets, the more wrong everything gets. And that's, uh, you know, it's all that detail. I'm, I'm obviously not going to attempt to go through everything now, but it's that kind of detail that people will be looking very closely for, I suppose. Um, and at the same time, I'm sure in the final report, Sir Brian can't go into the meticulous detail of every single haemophilia centre around the country throughout every year and every doctor. That's It just seems impossible right or else the final report just becomes i mean it's already going to be mammoth it must be but it will become even more mammoth so i guess i guess maybe he will dip in and out of particular incidents at particular centers 
at particular points in time. But on the whole, he's going to have to look at it on a... I remember at the opening hearings, uh, 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 Casey, Stephen Snowden, um, referred to looking at things on a macro level and a micro level. And I, and I think that's kind of what you have to do is to jump in and out of, of the various ways you can look at all this. And I've also been thinking about, you know, what does resolution look like? Again, compensation aside, something that, you know, is very important to many people, including myself, is a um, a national memorial that recognizes what happened. I think I think that is something that would be very important to a lot of people. And it and it does kind of it's interesting to think about, I suppose, what the landscape for people that have been touched by this, what the landscape looks like in terms of let's assume, you know, the government sets up the compensation system and it begins accepting claims and making payments and generally you know broadly speaking people think it's fair and are happy with it um let's say they accept the case for a, a national uh memorial funded by fresh central government funds what then and and i think i think the answer to that I think that there's probably, and I, I know people are passionate about this now, it obviously needs to be looked at now as well. And there may well be recommendations in terms of, you know, healthcare needs, improved access to, you know, treatments and screening and appointments and, and all kinds of other various things. And I, and I do think that it's at that stage there is... Um, there's an interesting thing that I think will happen because I think for for many people, you know, this has gone on for so long, and and I always, um, I've always taken the view that no one it, uh, infected or affected in this whole thing owes anyone anything. You know, there's no obligation on anyone to campaign or to be it meetings or to say or to do the press or whatever it is you know no one owes anyone anything and and so i suppose just bear in mind that that's my view before i say what i say next but i think for for many people because this has gone on for so long that in the advent of fair compensation recognition of the wrongdoing let's say there's a you know a, a, a proper government apology acknowledging the wrongs i suppose that's those things taken in hand are enough for many people to find peace in all this and to leave it alone in the sense of they can wake up in the morning and they can you know, unsubscribe from campaign emails and leave the campaign Facebook groups and do you know I mean kind of disconnect from the the fight and try to move on. You know, let's put it bluntly, to move on. Moving on not meaning forgetting. Moving on not meaning everything is fine now. 
but moving on meaning a difference and the difference being not fighting or feeling the fight is going on every single day and then i guess there will be other people who will kind of stick around either to continue being part of the community um and and for some people that would be for different reasons for some people it will be for for friendship and for support and i guess for other people it will be to to carry on fighting for whatever it may be i mean the inquiry may make recommendations in terms of you know any any number of areas you know it could be not just for improved health care, but it could be reformed to the Freedom of Information Act. It could be reformed to the process of how inquiries come about or the, the route to inquiries. You know, obviously, when Andy Burnham gave evidence, he spoke a lot about um, Hillsborough Law, um, the, the Public uh, Authorities Accountability uh, Bill campaign, um, which I kind of help out, out, help out with as well. Um, you know, the, this... And, and of course there's a broader spectrum of that, that than that there'll be lots of other things as well but who's going to campaign for those things you know it's going to be i suspect a smaller group of people and and not everyone will want to for very understandable reasons but that's something i think about as well you know what recommendations other than compensation might be and who's going to want to campaign for them particularly in a scenario where compensation is established and is accepting claims and, and those claims are being paid. It remains to be seen. And, um, you know, as, as for myself, you know, I think, I think I would campaign for other recommendations. I mean, there'd have to be, you know, things that I believe in and, and, and that I'm passionate about, but, I, but I would, um, there are certain things I'm quite passionate about. I think in particular, you know, the reform in terms of how a public inquiry comes about because there are a number of other campaigns that, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with now and again who, in my opinion, just, just like the situation we were in, should have had a public inquiry years and years and years ago. But, you know, the reality is it feels like there's no prospect of them getting one anytime soon, if ever. And the fact that there's no route, there is no route, no established route to get a public inquiry. It's just if you campaign the right way at the right time with the right people, it might just happen. And that that doesn't feel right that that's the case. So, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see what the recommendations are. Um, but and, and I also think it's hard for any of us to probably say exactly what we do and, until the situation comes about, you know, where you can properly make that decision based on all of the, the details of the time, you know? So we'll start to wrap up this episode. Now I think, you know, there's plenty of more campaign tasks coming, plenty going on in the background. Oh, just briefly, I did say that I'd mention a little bit about what's going on with FOI. So ever since, um, Many of you will know when we got the compensation documents out of the Department for Work and Pensions and, you know, there was the video on the YouTube channel going through those and then we, we, we published them and, and, and gave those documents to the inquiry as well. So 
the way they came about, and I'll keep this brief, was there was a there was a kind of a battle, and it, and eventually I took that battle to the information commissioner's office, and they uh, favoured my argument, and it was basically in relation to section thirty five, which is uh, again without going into meticulous detail, it's an exemption about. Um, exempting documents to to do with ongoing uh with policy decision making and within the information commissioner's own guidance they talk about there being an established framework uh and luckily obviously we had the compensation framework that same language and basically what they say is that something it can't really be considered uh, policy decision making if kind of the general principle is established because naturally there's always going to be details within a policy that that still need to be determined over time but they're looking for kind of the general principle and so the argument i made was that the general principle that compensation should be paid has been accepted by the government you know how many t- times have they said we accept the moral case for compensation they've paid interim payments at least to some people so they've established the general principle that they're going to pay compensation and everything else is kind of just the detail of you know uh and the ico bought that you know they they um ruled in my favor and dwp had to disclose those documents now the situation we're in now is that ever since then it feels like everyone else has has super tightened up on that exemption um all departments dwp when i've gone back to them for more documents department of health cabinet office treasury everybody all being extremely resistant the ministry of justice very resistant to releasing anything at all now um you know clearly they know uh how it may be used and so they're being extremely resistant. That being said, we're never going to stop. Um, going to keep doing the internal reviews, keep going to the information commissioner. I've actually got an active case right now. Um, just had an email about it uh, yesterday, actually, from the information commissioner in regards to the Department of Health. Um, they're not wanting to disclose anything in regards to a recent request, uh, nothing at all. And the information commissioner are now well, I think the ICO had actually gone back to them this week and said, you know, do you want to kind of reconsider this? Uh, or, or at least in recent weeks. And the Department of Health have come back this morning saying that they've reconsidered it and they still don't want to give up anything. Um, and this was asking for, off the top of my head, I think it was the correspondence of William Vinyl, the director of NHS Quality Safety and Investigations during the period the 10th to the 31st of August last year uh, that relate to infected blood uh, compensation payments. So they're not wanting to give any of that up. Um, they say it could interfere with the detection or prevention of crime amongst the this Section 35. Anyway, sometimes I can get too deep into these FOI battles, but needless to say, that's ongoing. We're still trying and we'll continue to do so and we'll, we'll be expecting an ICO judgment on that particular case uh, pretty soon actually so we'll see we'll see what happens so certainly no letting up for me over the summer I'm sure that'll be the same for many we'll keep the campaign tasks coming we'll leave it there for now and I shall see you next time 
I'm Jason Evans, and this is Factor 8.